Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. I am just so thrilled to be, I don't know, ending this year a little bit uh, on a high note. That's what I meant to say. Ending this year on a high note. Uh, We could all use a little bit of joy. And no matter what kind of year you've had, Christmas is the season of joy. And um, I'm very happy to be bringing this series to you, the lyrics of Christmas, because these lyrics are very, very important to our Christian faith. Last week, we talked about Mary's song. We talked about how the gospel is for everybody, not just the elite. The gospel is for all people. So... Um, today, we're going to focus on Zechariah's song, okay? This is Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in a lot of long passages of Scripture today. In fact, I think I will actually avail myself of this bench today, because we're going to sit a lot in the seat here, and we're going to read a large portion of Scripture, but I want to give you the big idea. The big idea of the message today is Jesus came to this earth to do the work of of salvation in people's lives. It's our job to arrange an invitation. It's our job to arrange an invitation. Would you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, and um, we are going to be reading a large portion of this, which always freaks me out, because I don't like reading in public. I could talk all day. Some of you know that. I don't like reading in public. So here we go. Bear with me. Read along with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. There again, that, that, that statement, all right? Mary found favor with God, remember we talked about that, Mary found favor, and Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God. That's, a, that's a quite a statement. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren and without, and was advanced in years. It sounds like somebody else in the, in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Sarah and Abraham. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, let me just, let me just give you a little background on that incense burning. Okay? In, the te- in the temple, there was a, a, a table of incense. And what, it would, what would happen is the priest would go in there regularly, and they would burn incense before the Holy of Holies, before the presence of the Lord. And that incense, they would burn it, and then they would spend time in prayer. Okay? And that incense would, would rise as a sweet-smelling fragrance to God, and it was a representation of the prayers of God's people and what he thinks about them. They represented the prayers of God's people. And the whole analogy is that God's uh, God thinks that the prayer, your prayers 
smell good. <laughs> Your prayers are sweet to him. That he loves when you commune with him. It is something that he enjoys. It's, it's, it's pleasing. It's pleasing to him. Okay? So, um, where was I? Come on, somebody help me. Ten, thank you. All right. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, just so that you might not think that this is normal, it's not. Okay, it wasn't like something that happens, they burn incense, oh, and an angel always shows up. No, this is not what happened, typically. This is a big deal. And boy, Gabriel was busy that, he was working overtime in those days, because he's going and delivering messages. So uh, he was at the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and uh, fear fell upon him. Yeah, I would imagine. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, I find this very interesting. Because it says, your prayer has been heard. We don't know what he was praying about. Typically, what the priests would do is they would go and they would pray for the nation of Israel. But we'll read a little bit later that his wife, Elizabeth, is burdened by her barrenness. And wouldn't it be like a good husband who is righteous before God to say, be with my wife. Take care of her and her emotional. He, I, I actually don't think that Zachariah was in there praying for a son. He knew that ship had long sailed. He knew that wasn't going to happen. So I don't think he was in there, oh, God, I need a son, I need a son. I don't think he was doing that. Interestingly enough, when we pray, when we pray, God gets to decide how he wants to answer those prayers. Do you, do you hear that? When we pray, God says, I hear your prayer, and I'm going to answer it. It may not come the way we thought it was going to come. There's no way John was like, yeah, if I go in there and pray today for a son, Elizabeth's going to get pregnant. Not going to happen. That ship had sailed. He was in there probably praying for Israel, probably I would imagine praying for his wife, his family, and the angel said, God heard your prayer and is answering it. That is cool. So he says in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and uh, many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And we see that when Mary comes to town. And her voice, Mary's voice, catches the ear of Elizabeth. And John, in her, the womb, flips over. Woo! So Holy Spirit action. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, and this is how I know he wasn't praying for this. <laughs> how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Isn't he polite? Isn't he sweet? He's like, I'm old. My wife's advanced. I'm old. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Don't mess. I stand in the presence of God. Don't mess. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Or we might say, bring you this gospel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole sermon right there. But anyway, and the people were right, uh, waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs at them and remaining mute. And when the time of service had ended, he went home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me and taken away my reproach among the people. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. Okay, uh, this is big stuff. This is big stuff. This is miracle stuff. This is not your everyday. This is not your everyday happening in Israel. You've got to remember this. You've got to remember that there is 400, 400. I'm just going to put that in perspective for you. 400 is twice the age of our own country. I mean, people were wearing knickers 200 years ago and waistcoats. Think about that. That's, four, that's 200 years ago. 400 years of silence from God. No prophecies. No miracles to speak of. Now, we have this amazing miracle that foreshadows, that I should say, that uh, talks about and, and, and represents one of the key miracles in the Old Testament, the, the birth of Isaac. Okay? So this is a big deal. Okay, turn to Luke. We're going to skip down to uh, 57 of that, same, of that same chapter, 57. And it says this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have, uh, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he should be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted to be, to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately as his mouth was open and his tongues loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all the neighbors. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And fears came on all the neighbors. And, they, and these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid, uh, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what will this child be? I want you to keep that question in your mind. What will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. That was apparent. So what would he do with that? 
Gerard Tijan wrote an article called John the Baptist, the Man and His Influence. All right? And I want to read uh, some portions of that because I found it very interesting in research as to, as to the person of John. See, John was born to a priestly family, but he did not become a priest as expected. Think about this. He comes from a priestly family amongst whom a priest has seen an angel. Everybody's thinking, oh man, he's going to be a priest. He's going to be a priest. Nope, not a priest. All four Gospels say that John came as a prophet to prepare the way before Jesus. We learn a little more about John from the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian born shortly after Jesus died. And he says this, John was a pious man, and he was, uh, biting the, uh, he was bidding the Jews to come together for baptism. Interesting. I just want to say something. I did not plan this sermon because of a baptism today. This sermon was scheduled and planned before we scheduled the baptism. Isn't God cool? And we're talking about baptism. We're going to do baptism today. We're talking about John the Baptist just out of happenstance. Yeah, right. Right? Pretty cool stuff. So he was, he was uh, calling them to baptism. And when everybody turned to John, for they were profoundly stirred by what he said, Herod feared that John's so extensive influence over the people might lead to an uprising. For the people seemed likely to do anything that he counseled them. This is Josephus speaking. He, taught, uh, he thought it much better under the circumstances to get John out of the way and advance before any insurrection might develop. Then for himself to get in trouble and be sorry not to have acted once the insurrection had begun. So he, uh, King Herod is worried about the Rome and all these things that are happening. And, and, and the Gospels do not dispute this. Um, John was put in prison, and he eventually did uh, get executed. So what did John look like? According to Mark 1.7, he wore camel's hair, leather, and a, a leather girdle. Maybe he had a little belly. I don't know. But probably not because all he ate was locusts and wild honey. I know wild honey's got the calories, but I don't know if that's the reason why. He was a man of the wilderness, much like Elijah. You can find about Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Malachi, the last canonical book of the Old Testament, promised that God would send Elijah to warn people before the day of judgment. Okay? People who saw and heard John were, uh, were reminded they had very... Uh, that he might very well be the promise of, promise of Elijah. In fact, Jesus himself thought so. We can read, you can read it in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, if you can hear it, if you can, you can take my words on this, he is Elijah that would come. And he said, there's no greater man born to woman than, than, uh, than John. That's a pretty high praise from Jesus. Although early Christians saw John as a forerunner of Jesus, some of the disciples of John and others did not see it quite that way. No doubt some of John's disciples did follow Jesus. Apparently, there was a group of people who remained loyal to John's teachings. They, they, they remained loyal, um, and they didn't necessarily follow Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, we see Paul, uh, when he was in Ephesus, come across a group of disciples of John that had only been baptized in water. They had not been 
brought into the church and baptized in the Holy Spirit. According to John 3, 22-26, John and Jesus were both baptizing at the same time, side by side. Isn't that weird? That John and Jesus would both be baptizing side by side. Why was John still baptizing when Jesus himself was already begun his ministry? And I want you to think of this word. Forerunner. Forerunner. Now, a forerunner is someone who goes before and lays the groundwork for what is yet to come. Okay? John was baptizing into repentance, and Jesus was baptizing into a whole new life. So John was like the place where, like, man, I'm a sinner, and I need cleansing for my sins, and Jesus was baptizing into a whole new life. I'll read it to you. John 3, 22. And after Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. They're both baptizing. Here, in 25, now the, a discussion arose between the, uh, some of John's disciples and a, uh, and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was uh, across the Jordan to whom you are bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. He said, look, 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 look. See him, like, look at that guy across the Jordan River. He's baptizing, and all your disciples are leaving you. John 1 says this, indicating uh, that uh, we have John 1, we see that he's indicated that Apostle Andrew who was Peter's brother, and possibly the apostle John, were once disciples of John. Yeah, it's, it, I'll read it to you. Here it goes. John was standing with the two of, the, of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by the side, and behold, the Lamb of God, he said. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So Andrew and John bolted. Now, verse 40, it says this. One of the two were, uh, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So we see that John is baptizing, Jesus is baptizing. Some of John's disciples are leaving John and following Jesus. Now, how does John feel about that? Back to John 3. So, John answered. When, when the dispute came up, he said, this was John's answer. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Important. Keep that in your mind. You yourselves bore wit, uh, me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who came from above is above all. Now, where am I going with this? It's a lot of scripture. But remember what our, 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 uh, 
the big idea of the message is, right? Jesus came to the saving work of humanity. We are here to merely give an invitation. Make that, make that invitation. John understood his place. He was not the Christ. He could never be the Christ. His job was merely to point people to the Christ. As impo- uh, impressive as John the Baptist's ministry was, he never saved a single soul. What? John the Baptist never saved a single soul. A few years back, I had an interesting interaction with a a Christian brother acquaintance of mine, and we were having a conversation, and he was telling me about his weekend. Just the way he did it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Me and a few of my Christian brothers, I love when people start throwing around the Christian like platitudes, like, you know, Christian brothers and I. Blah, blah, blah. We went out soul winning this last weekend. Oh, did you? You went out soul winning. Now, I know that is a statement that used to be made. We're going to go soul winning today. I said, really, how many souls did you save? He goes, well, nobody really listened to us. <laughs> I felt like saying, It's because you can't save a single soul. How about do what you're supposed to do and arrange an invitation with the one who can save a soul? That's a lot harder, and it's a lot more meaningful. Because you could go to somebody's door and knock on their door day and tell them that they're a sinner and tell them that they need Jesus, and you could try to save their soul. Or... You could go to somebody and say, I want to introduce you to somebody who saved my soul. I want to introduce you to somebody who loves you so much. I want, I, listen, we are not the Christ. This church is not the Christ. This church can save nobody by dunking them in a tank. Maybe we put the bubbles on. I don't know. But we can, I'm telling you folks, if we think we can do this, we are We're a cult. But if we point people to Christ and let him do the job he came to do in that manger on that day, whether it was December 25th, I don't know. But if we can do that, then people will be saved. They will get baptized, and they will get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they can go out and do the job that they're meant to do, which is to make, to, to um, provide an invitation for people. Don't be that person. I love that guy. He probably didn't even know what he was saying that rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, let's, let's be humble like John was. I must decrease. He must increase. Mark 16, 15 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. It doesn't, go out, it doesn't say go out and save souls. It doesn't say that. It says go out and proclaim the good news, the gospel, to the whole of creation. Matthew 28 goes a little bit farther. It says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
interestingly enough, doesn't go say, doesn't take, go out and save souls. To share the message. We share the message and prepare the way for Jesus to do his work in people's lives. Which brings us to our key text today, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And this is Zachariah's song. And here are some of the lyrics of Christmas. And his father, John's father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Okay, can we just pause for a second? I know I just, uh, let me stop for a second. This whole section is all about God. This is what God does. Here we go. Blessed is the Lord our God of Israel, who, who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from, the, from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Who's doing this? This is all God. This is what God does. Point 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemy, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Stop. Every single word, every single line of that song so far is about what God does. He saves us from our enemies. He fulfills his promises. Talk about the promises of Abraham. The promises of Abraham are this, that through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's you. That's me. Through the line of David would come a, a savior. That's Jesus. This is all God's doing. He saves us from our enemies. Now, I have a feeling that Zechariah, in his understanding at that moment, was thinking Rome, 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 Rome. Save us from Rome. We need to save him from Rome. But I don't even know if he understood what he was saying completely. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was prophesying. God saves his people from the enemy. The greatest enemy of the human race is sin. And Jesus did that. Now, God redeems. He brings salvation. He shows mercy. He keeps his promises. He delivers. He brings holiness and righteousness. Now, the next section shifts. Here we go. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the whole first section is all about God. 
the whole second section is all about what John would do as a forerunner. The same thing that John was called to do is the same thing he's calling you and us, you and I to do today. You and me, you and I, you and me. Same thing. It's the same thing. We are not the Christ. Can anybody just say thank God? Imagine that pressure. That's, uh, I mean, listen, honestly, I'm telling you right now, it's a lot of pressure. It's enough pressure just to live an upright life, to be a good example of what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a person who can give a proper invitation, a proper in, invite to somebody else to meet with the God of the universe. That's, that's tough enough pressure. But to be the Savior? I'm just going to say thank you, Jesus, for not putting that pressure on me. But, but, we are called to testify of the one who came to accomplish this great thing in our lives, in everybody's lives. We can prepare the way to Jesus for someone. We can prepare the way to Jesus for someone, like John. We can give knowledge of salvation. Remember what I said earlier? Let me introduce you to the one who saved my soul. That's the tack I want to be. I, I, that, that's, that's where people are like, really? Well, you really believe this stuff. Yes, I really believe this. Why do I really believe this? I believe it because it's been first done in me. We can testify of the forgiveness of our sins. We can eliminate by shining, we can eliminate the darkness by shining light to guide people in the way of peace. Everybody in it been in a really, really dark room? Like really dark. Like you can't see your hand in front of your face. You know what's really freaking me out these days? These VR things. Anybody try those things? Anybody try one of those things? Okay. Anybody remember back in the day when your mom said, don't sit too close to the television or you'll burn your eyes out of your sockets? Remember that? Remember that? Apparently, she was lying to us. Because now the big craze is to have a, a high-definition TV three inches from our eyes, which freaks me out. Because I do not like not knowing what's around me. Because, I mean, I'm sure there's some really funny videos of somebody in a VR thing and somebody else just coming around pushing them. Because you can't hear anything, you can't see anything. Anyway, I digress. It's freaking me out. Have you ever been in a really dark room? Anybody ever stubbed their toe on the edge of their bed or on a Lego that their kids left? Legos. Jim Gaffigan said that hell is not going to be full of fire, just going to be full of Legos and you're not going to get any shoes. That's all hell needs to be. <laughs> Lego. I'm sorry, I was pronouncing that incorrect. It's not Legos. It's Lego. Sorry. It, it's interesting, though. In a very, very dark place, the smallest spark of light will allow you to see 
all the obstacles that are in your way. That is what we are called to be. People are living in the land of darkness. And we want to show them the light so they can sidestep all those obstacles that are in their way because it hurts to stub your toe. We're trying to help them. Isaiah 9.2 says this. This is really the message of Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Jesus is that great light. So, go. Tell it on the mountain. Or the hills and everywhere. I say it again. Go. Tell it on the mountain. For Jesus Christ is born. Right? That's our, that's, our, that's our job. Our job is to go and to tell it and to live it and to show it and to illuminate. We can't save anybody. Take the pressure off yourself. But we have been called. To show every, to, to introduce our Jesus to everybody we can. And that's what John did, and that's what we can do. Listen, I, Reverend David R. Sangster, <laughs> cannot save a soul. I never have, and I never will. That is not my job as the pastor. I'm a simple man telling the good news that Jesus came to this earth to save humanity, to save you. If you repent of your sins and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? I want to give an opportunity right here today. Remember, it's not, it's not me. I'm not like, you know doing anything that's going to do a magical thing to you, it's all between you and Christ. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior in the way which we talked about today, that he came to save you from your sins, and you want to do that today, you've never done that before, and today is the day of salvation, I am a simple guy standing up here proclaiming a great message to you, and if you want to accept that message today, I would ask you just to raise your hand today. Just raise your hand. Just lift your hand, not to me, doesn't matter if I see it or not, raise your hand to God. Okay. All right. Give a couple more seconds. I just felt like we couldn't leave this message today without giving an opportunity. All right, look at me. Hallelujah. I don't know if every single person here today has accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord, but no hands went up. That's okay. But we had this big old tank of water here. And why would we let all this nice warm water go to waste? So I want to tell you this. If you've never been baptized before, and you've asked Jesus into your life, and you've never been baptized before, I have four people who signed up ahead of time. But there's a target right down over there. If you want to go get a change of clothes and get baptized today, I will not keep you 
from the waters of baptism. Does that sound, sound okay? So if that's you today and you want to get baptized, you've never been baptized before and you want to get baptized, come see me after the service. I'll be hanging out over here a little bit um, and uh, we can arrange that. I'll ask you a couple questions, make sure you know what's going on and we can arrange that. That's cool. I like that idea. But regardless, we're dunking four people today. I might keep Noah down a little longer, but can we close in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that you sent your son to do the work of salvation. There is salvation in no one else but in the name of Jesus Christ. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You do the work. We get the opportunity to share this amazing message. Lord, help us to be a people who know our place. Help us not to be a legalistic group of people who thinks that they can do the work. But a humble people, completely reliant, completely reliant on the work of Christ. And help us to tell everybody, or the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.